Are you alive? Hi, welcome to the first episode of Smoking and Drinking in Space. It's a show or podcast about a couple of guys who just like to talk about science fiction films and the kind of modern phenomenon of science fiction films where they actually show the grittier side of what it's like to smoke and drink in space. My name is Jason. And I'm Red. And for the first series... We're going to start with uh, Battlestar Galactica, the the new rebooted Battlestar Galactica that showed on the sci-fi series back, I think it started in 2005, right? No idea. Um, 2005, I think, is when it... No, 2003, I'm sorry. It was actually earlier than I thought. Wow, it's really that old? This show, like, 15 years old already? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. My God. I don't math. Well, I can't say that I actually started watching it whenever it first came out. I think I caught maybe the last last uh, season that it was mm-hmm. on. Well, I remember pushing it pretty hard for you. You weren't that interested in it. I was uh, I was super busy at the time. I didn't have a whole lot of time for an, another TV series. I didn't watch all that much TV at the time anyway. Well, so That and we were functionally broke. Well, that... Had to work a lot of weird hours. Had to work a lot of weird hours. We were functionally broke, didn't have a lot of cable back then. Mm -hmm. Exactly, it was on sci-fi, as I recall. Yeah, and sci-fi wasn't really known for its uh, groundbreaking series. No, no. That was in the pre... uh, Let's see, we have... uh, It used to be B.C. and A.D. Now it's B.C.E. and C.E. for... Common Era and before Common Era, so this would probably be what I would like to say is uh, B.S. and S. for before Sharknado and Sharknado. (laughs) Before Sharknado, people were a bit more discriminating. However, taking into account, I have not seen one of those, by the way. I am still clean. Yeah, I'm sully myself with those, but I think they're on the fourth or fifth inception of that series. Yeah, I have to actually admit I've never seen a, a Sharknado movie either. So, but but yeah, they were they were really good about dredging up stuff you had no idea. Um, I used to call them alimony movies. <laughs> You'd see a really you know like John Smith and Jane you've never heard of, and you know Rutger Hauer. It's like oh, I remember Rutger. There's Rutger. Why is he in this? Needed some alimony. It's an alimony movie. I think that's. I think that's probably a pretty apt description. Yeah, they had some great actors that that yeah. played in their movies, and and the movies were just really poorly well, written and executed. It was. Are we allowed? I I don't know. Are we allowed to mention other? I mean, we just said Sci-Fi Channel. Are we going to have to throw them a bone, or is this just a free commercial? Oh no! I mean, this is this is all. Yeah, it's it's. We're not being sponsored by sci-fi. We have no relationship with sci-fi. Right. 
Uh, we occasionally watch sci-fi. And well, you do. I, I, oh. I am I am sans cable. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I have a, I have an eight dollar antenna from uh, a Martian of Walls. We'll that's call right. it. That's right. Don't I forgot get them you. Upset. Forgot you dunked your cable. So. I did. I did. There, uh, there's really not much on. Although it when I upgraded from the flip phone earlier this week to an actual smartphone, they tried to get me to get Direct TV streaming something. Direct TV now, yeah, I actually use that. They said it was only going to be twenty bucks since I was on the friends and family plan. I'm like, great. No, <laughs> so, there that is. But I was going. Oh, we were talking about actors. Um, there is an online streaming service. Um, Netflix, that I noticed there was some kind of a robot Armageddon dystopian future type film that, you know, had a bunch of people I never oh, heard of. Oh, yeah. I think and that's ben Altered Kingsley, Carbon. Academy Award winner, Ben Kingsley. I'm like, what the crap? More alimony. Is that Altered Carbon? I've heard so much about it. Everybody's apparently watching it. No, it's not it. Altered Carbon. No, this is, that's a series. Um, the uh, the one I'm thinking of is just an hour and forty something minute long movie with Ben fucking Kingsley. And I'm like, all right, oh, glad to see he's still kicking. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's still around. Gosh, what was the last thing I saw him in? I think Stonehurst Asylum is the last thing I saw him him in. But that's a that's actually a fairly old movie. I think that's well, he's five, a powerful actor. Old. He's one of those guys you can just sit and watch, no matter what. Oh yeah, he's. Him. Yeah, he, he's he's a phenomenal actor. The first time I saw him speak with a Cockney accent, I just about fell out of the chair. I just had no idea. Yeah, he's he's British. I don't know if a Cockney accent is his native accent. But no, yeah, it's not. But still, yeah, he's he's got a huge range. My son was just telling me how much he enjoyed watching um, Sir Patrick Stewart. What was he in most recently? Uh, I want to say it was Macbeth. Oh, really? That he was watching. He said that Picard did a heck of a job. I'm still scarred by the excellent performance he gave in a movie called Jeffrey. Seeing Captain Picard in a pink beret was so not Starfleet. No, no, but, but I, the I heard job that's a... he did was over the top amazing. Yeah, that I heard that was a great movie. Was really good, but it's just you don't expect that. You know, this guy comes along, he's the tough guy, he's the super intellectual, and to see him so I don't want to say gentle, but it was vulnerable, that's the word. He played such a vulnerable character in that movie that it was it was powerful. Yeah, that's another one I should probably see, and I I just haven't, so I've got a huge list of books and movies and, and stuff that I really need to plow through. Just not yeah. enough time, you know. There never is. So, right. Battlestar. Battlestar, first episode of the new rebooted series. It, it started actually, actually out as, a, as like, what, Movie. a two-part mini-series mm. on sci-fi. They were just kind of testing the waters to see the reaction. Right. Um, so the first episode, hour and a half long, Start out with uh, a nice little scene from uh, from space of a it looks like a some sort of space station, and then it comes inside, and you see a solitary guy sitting behind a desk. Right. 
And then... And if I could, real quick, if I could, real quick, one of the things that I found intriguing about the show that got my attention, I like details. Uh-huh. The, uh, the paperwork on the desk had the corners cut off. Yeah, that's one of the things I was going to bring up is why in this, I mean, I don't understand why this is a design decision that they did for this series, mm-hmm. of course, but I don't understand the logic behind it. I mean, why would a society cut off the corners of their paper? I mean, why would they actually design paper that has these huge corners to begin with that seem to be cut off? It just, it reduces the surface area that you have to work with on a piece of paper. It does. But I did notice it. I thought it was intriguing. It was, it, it was an eye catcher. It also, definitely was an eye catcher. I think they, I think they kind of tried to push it just to say, well, this is a different society. So this isn't, right. this is a, something totally different from Earth. Different culture. And, and the, the clothing was similar, but just a little bit out of step. You know, had a little Mandela thing going on there. <laughs> right, right. You know, the, the collars are a little bit higher or whatever, but then there'd be something you'd see out and about. Um, also, the entire series, with very few exceptions, they played a lot with uh, colors and lighting. There was uh, an intentional grittiness to everything. It wasn't going to be bright and well lit. There's a picture that's very commonly used talking about westward expansion of the United States where you have this female who is supposed to represent liberty and light. And she's she's dead center in the photo and behind her everything is well lit and clean and sculptured and there's people with um, uh, riding on steam locomotives and, and horses and there's telegraph lines and everything's wonderful and before her is this darkness where you can barely see the Native Americans and the buffalo and the impending storm clouds and she's going forward through manifest destiny bringing the light of civilization to the savage land. And I think between the original Battlestar that I grew up watching as a child, and it was bright and clear and clean, as opposed to the new Battlestar with a darker, you know, they're trying to show more, I think, of humans are not perfect, and we have a hand in the problems that are going to be faced in this series, as opposed to just being the innocent people that are attacked by the mean, nasty machines. Right. So it's not just the paper, it's the lighting, it's it's the and the music was very primal. Oh yeah, yeah, the the yeah, the tribal drums, um yeah. Very very unique in the beginning, but it starts to wear on you after a while. It but does. It was it was very uh it was very unique. The the entire set design, the costuming, um all of the all of the small details were were, were very. And did you notice in the first episode when they're actually taking a tour through? Uh, let me see if I can recall. It would have been the starboard flight deck that was turned into a museum. Yes. Yeah, because they had to move all the ships to the right. port flight deck. Yeah. In the very far back, they've got a picture of the original Cylon Centurion, i.e., toaster, 
Well, you on notice display. on the... But in the very back, they had a Viper Mark I from the original series. Oh, I it's... thought the Mark IIs were like from the original series. Ooh, the Mark I. If you go and, and pause it, and you look in the far left-hand side of your screen, all the way to the edge, you will see a Viper Mark I from the original series. Yeah, let's see if I can scrub to that. Now, I know that in the beginning of the episode, on some of the paperwork, it actually showed a diagram of the old-style Cylon from the original series. I thought and that they had was a, model a really of the Cylon nice touch. Base star too, yeah. as I recall. Yeah, that museum that they walked through had all sorts of... Uh, cool-looking old Cylon stuff, I guess from the first war that they reference. Right. Yeah, let's see if I can't find that, that Mark One. Where are we at? Oh, yeah, I do see it. Way in the back. And I remember that was a really sleek-looking ship. But when you look at the stuff they have in this new series, that's, that's an Edsel. Yeah, so I and it's at... huge. Look at the size of it. It is so huge compared yeah. to the Mark II. Maybe I'm not looking at the same thing. I see one that's not as squared off. It's more rounded than the Mark II's. Uh, it's right behind the sign that says Battlestar Galactica information. It's at right now. I'm at twenty-seven fifty-six. See a couple of the Mark II's back there. It's kind of in shadow. Yes. Kind of looks rusted out. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, it looks kind of the similar size to the the Mark II's, but it's very rounded. It's got a very it's got a round nose as as opposed to like a squared off nose. Right. Um But yeah. Yeah, I didn't notice that before. That's a good catch. I have no life. But yeah, back to the episode. So we get this lone guy in a lone desk on a lone starship, he's looking through some papers. One of the papers has a has an old style Cylon on it, and then in walks this woman in a red dress, and it's it kind of reminded me of like a, a film noir. Is you you have this blonde oh, femme yeah. fatale in a red dress walking to mm-hmm. this old guy behind a desk. You're you're you're. You're kind of wondering to yourself, is this the beginning of some uh, gritty PI story, or what is this? Right, right. She asks him a question. Asks him if he's actually alive. Right. And then goes down to kiss him. Mm -hmm. What did did she say after that? It was something like, uh, it scared him. It was was something like, uh, mankind is... I don't know. Something something along the lines of mankind's going to die. And he kind of steps back for a little bit, and then the Cylons kind of flick their fingers out, and they, they look all razor sharpy. And then you see a base ship shadow come over this, this space station out in space, and a whole bunch of missiles fire off. Silently. And, yeah, silently. Another no. good thing that I enjoy. So can hear you scream. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that I did in one of my notes that I made was they're still they're still putting sound in space. I mean everybody or most everybody should know by now there's no sound in space. Of course I think two thousand one kinda coined the phrase in space nobody can hear you scream. 
But filmmakers and, and TV shows still go back to putting sound effects of things blowing up in space. And I guess seeing something blowing up isn't, uh, isn't shocking enough. People expect to hear sound, but it, it, still, it still jars me. I'm trying to think of a movie that did it really well. It's on the tip of my tongue. I'm I'm having a having a brain fart here, so Sharknado. <laughs> Sharknado. Yes, Sharknado. That that's gonna be their next movie is, is Sharks in Space. Might as well be. Well they put Jason in space, so why not? Did they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Friday the thirteenth, Jason goes to space. We're on a yeah, space station. I, I watched I watched the first one. I heard there were there was nudity. And I was young, so I watched it. <laughs> Is I've always been more of a Michael Myers fan. God, aren't they redoing that series again? Well, I know Rob Zombie did uh, redid Halloween, and he did a remarkable job with it. The man's talented; he's very talented. He's got a good eye behind the camera. He really does, and I like the way he went with it. And. Uh, but the the uh, the whole concept of the unstoppable nemesis, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of like you in that regard. I mean, there is this thing called physics. Forgive me when my Newton shows up. I mean, even if you know people are talking about like supernatural movies, you know, a werewolf jumps out and tries to get you. I mean, if you hit that thing with a twelve gauge, both barrels open, it's gonna feel it. Right. I, I just, you know, it might have remarkable healing, but even Wolverine says, ouch, once in a while. Right, yeah. But the whole, the whole thing with sound and space is, I think it could be done. I mean, it's also like, well, having musical scores in movies. M. Night Shyamalan did some wonderful work with very little to no music in some movies that I thought was really intriguing. Wasn't no. it? Uh, signs. Oh, signs. That wasn't that wasn't too bad. I think that was kind of towards the when he was kind of sliding downhill in his career. But I Though, thought it was neat that they didn't have a lot of the music to let you know something's about to happen. Yeah, that's that's actually nice. Is I think uh, I think sometimes films rely too much on spooky music to kind of create artificial tension. Right. Yeah. So him actually making the visual of the movie create the tension, I think, was, uh, was, a, and I was to his that, credit. I mentioned that to bring us back to Battlestar, not to digress too far. But I do think Battlestar did a real good job with some of the minimalism in the series. Um, sound and space aside, the fact that you would have limited lighting on some of these facilities simply to conserve power. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had friends, we have had friends in the military, and they don't keep those areas super well lit, especially on board ship. You know, you have what you need and nothing more. And under combat conditions, they'll often go to a red or a blue lighting to avoid flare. Light right. flare. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I do like how they incorporated something. Very much so. But why do you think 
not to be, I don't think we're in danger of putting out any spoilers here regarding the series. Oh, yeah. So if uh, you haven't seen the series yet, it's 15 years old. So spoiler alert. Right. This entire podcast series is going to be full of spoilers. Yes. But the series is 15 years old. So if you haven't seen it yet, sorry. But I think one of the main points they keep hitting on throughout the the entire show is the fact that the Cylons now have a human form. Yeah, yeah. So they point that out uh, later on. Um, I think it was Gaius that that actually Gaius Baltar, who is uh, he's a psychiatrist. No, uh, Baltar is. Uh, no, he was a uh, he was a uh, artificial intelligence. Yes, some he sort was of. Into, he was into the computers. Yeah, yeah. And apparently, you know, I'm. I'm not what you would call a man about town or a man of the world. I am well read. And were I, first off, to be an average looking Joe, which I am, such as Gaius Baltar, and then for a woman of such amazing beauty, like Trisha Helfer, to come along who plays the character Six. Right. Um, to suddenly find carnal interest in me would be warning sign number one. Let's be a little bit punny and say that would be a red light. Um, <laughs> and then the fact that during coitus, her entire spinal, spinal column begins to glow red. Right, yeah. That's either the sign of something artificial or you're going to need to get a real big shot at the clinic. And so I, I'm not sure they have a shot powerful enough for that at the clinic. I, I, there's gonna have to be something. But yeah, um, I think it's interesting that the Cylon, who are out to destroy humanity, have chosen to emulate said humanity. Yeah, so it's revealed um, probably 20, 30 minutes into the the show. Uh, she's talking to Gaius. Um, she's just kind of revealed that. She's a Cylon. And he goes, well, the last time we saw Cylons, they looked like giant toasters. Right. And she goes, well, we've, we're, we still have those around. They have their uses, but we've, we've moved on. So I'm, uh, there's 12 models, uh, 12 human-looking Cylons, and she's sixth out of 12. Model number six. Mm-hmm. And she had just completed... Killing an infant child by breaking its neck. Right. And I really enjoyed hearing the celery stalk snap that they accentuated in the sound. Yeah, so I was wondering, was that actually her, or was that just another one of the six models? No, that, that's her. That's was her. it? Yeah, I saw an interview with uh, Ms. Helfer when she was uh, discussing the series, and she found that particular scene very disturbing to do. And apparently it didn't go over well with her family back on the farm. Literally, on the farm. She's a farm girl. So if you ever come across her, don't don't cross the woman in public because she will probably whoop you. <laughs> she can tear apart a tractor, put it back together again. She knows how to bail hay. She's a farm girl. She's a country girl. But yeah, even she, with all of her life on the farm, you know, dealing with livestock and agriculture in general, she found that pretty 
pretty brutal, even though it was an act of quasi-compassion on the part of, of her character, so that that child would not have to endure the, the coming fallout and starvation and execution by the other Cylons. Right, right. But yeah, killing a child out in public, that, that really set the tone yeah. for, the, for the characters. And then she goes and she makes passionate love to Gaius. And then, shortly afterwards, catches him in the midst of, of the throes of passion with a female human and still has no animosity to in fact, she's still continuing to marvel at his unique ability at self-preservation. Well, I think that even though she's a Cylon, I think uh, because earlier on in the episode, before actually all that happened, she asked him, you know, do you love me? Mm. And so I'm thinking that she's actually in love with him, at least in some portion. And of course, he's a humongous, sleazy douchebag. Right. Well, see, In I fact, when think... they introduce his character, he's he's off looking. <laughs> oh my god, that look! He's he's looking out this window. So they're about to do a TV interview with him. He's right. in his own house. It's right. a remote interview. The host is introducing him, and he's looking longingly out of his window towards the side. And once she introduces him, he kind of slowly turns his head over and says, ah, it's great to be on your show. I mean, it, it just screamed douchey. Oh, yes. The man's a complete narcissist. Completely. But, um, no, I think when she was asking, do you love me? I don't think she knows what love is at that point yet. You don't think so? No, I don't think she does at that point. I think she's wanting to try and find a way to quantify what love is. And that if he were to say, yes, I love you, then she could start coming up with an algorithm to maybe comprehend what this is. I think she found him, if we were to try and put some sort of an emotion to it, I think she found him intriguing. You know, initially he was an ends to a means. But I think she started uh, becoming accustomed to him. To the point to where we might call it endearment. So you think it's just familiarity? She just yes. got familiar with him, familiar with his. But she's by being in um, amongst human society, she's seeing all these different references to love. Love is a four-letter word that is way overused. But I mean, even even you just said that whenever she you know snapped that tiny little baby's neck, that she was showing compassion so that the baby right. didn't have to live through oh, yes. the coming well, Armageddon. But if and, she's showing compassion, then, I mean, wouldn't she also have the facility to kind of uh, show empathy and, and love? Certainly, but they're going to come in stages as you develop. I mean, a child can love something, and that love is real to the child. But as the child matures, love changes. Love takes on more meaning. And... You hear people say, I love this TV show, or I love this food, or I love this car. You know, we, we, we tend to, if you try and look at how humans express themselves, and I'm limited to English, I don't really understand other languages as well as I do my native tongue, but in English, especially the American version of English, 
I find that a lot of times people are not capable of utilizing the vocabulary that we do have within our language, and they start using simile. And instead of actually saying what they mean, they're mainly meaning what they say. And I think at this point in time, her character has seen, observed, people refer to love in many different ways, on many different levels. And she's trying to find a way to equate, do I have him? Do I understand him? Is this what love is? Because really and truly, the only love that she could truly say that she comprehends is her love for the singular God, the one God, as opposed to the polytheistic religion of the humans. Right, right. And so I'm thinking that she understands basic emotion, but the more time she spends with the character Gaius, She's trying to understand exactly how far, how big a check she can write on the account, I guess. She's not sure how big her balance is yet. She's not understanding exactly what love is. And that doesn't start really making itself evident until about season three. Ah, see, yeah, I'm, I'm totally new to this. So I'm taking each episode as I'm, I'm seeing it for the first time. So, well, and you also have to recall, she tells him in that same conversation that when her body is destroyed, she's simply going to wake up in another body that she essentially cannot be killed. There are literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of versions of her. But whenever one of them is destroyed, they're immediately their consciousness is downloaded into a new body waiting to go. It just doesn't have an operating system yet. Right. Yeah, but that's only as long... I remember this from the last season. That's only as long as there's one of those base ships that have the memory transfer functionality. Right. right? Well, they're, they're, they've, got the, they've, they've got the resurrection ships, and then they have their main hub that's destroyed in the final battle of the final season. Right. But, Spoilers. Um, right, exactly. But, um, no, there he comes across other copies of Six. There are other copies of Six that do not know what the others have learned or experienced until they're downloaded. Once they're downloaded, then everybody knows what all the other copies of themselves know, but not until they themselves are downloaded. Wow, that's got to be confusing as shit. Yeah, it kind of gets into a, a, a hive mind type thing, but they're not continuously in contact with it. They're only in contact with the hive mind for that fleeting moment when they're downloaded. And then they know what everybody else is doing. And then when they get put into their own body, their own unique number six, then they're back independent again. You know, they're essentially clones. Right. So, and yeah, I know there's another spoiler. Here's another spoiler. The same can be said for the Cylon fighters and the Cylon heavy fighters. They too are downloaded when they're destroyed. So each time a fighter ship is destroyed, it comes back with the experience it had that led up to the last battle where it was destroyed. So they're constantly having an improved fighter force. Wow. Yeah. Because the fighters in this series are actual um, cybernetic organisms. They're not piloted, like in the original series. That's right. And they actually uh, they actually point that out in their first battle, which we'll get to shortly. 
So I know that she has a, a curiosity towards him uh, because as the bombs are dropping on Caprica, uh, he's pleading with her saying, uh, how, how, how could you do this? I'm going to die. And she's looking at him going, even after everything that I've told you, you're still thinking about yourself. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's amazing. But the first time, so after the, the space station is exploded, uh, this, it switches over to a corridor in the actual Battlestar Galactica. Right. So this is the first time that we see the Galactica, and it seems very blue. Right, right. Very crowded. Of course, there, everybody's getting ready for the, the retirement of Admiral Adama. And, and the Galactica. And the Galactica both. They're going to turn the Galactica into a museum. Um, and so everybody's in the, in the corridors. And one of the pet peeves that I've got is people... Starbucks got boobs. No. <laughs> no. A lot of people got upset about that. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, it's it's a character, so... Right. Uh, yeah. That, that always confused me why everybody got upset that Starbucks had boobs. I remember seeing some episodes... Boomer. Yeah, Boomer too. I remember seeing episodes of the original Battlestar whenever I was a kid, and I remember... Uh, Starbuck and Apollo and Boomer and all of them from that. And whenever they announced or I saw commercials or something on sci-fi that, that Starbuck was a female, I was like, ah, that's kind of a cool twist. And then I moved on with life because right. it's not that big of a freaking deal. I bet you there's a podcast where somebody's complaining about that still. <laughs> Probably. But yeah, so everybody is con convening in these corridors and having these nice long conversations and that is an absolute freaking pet peeve of me is conversing in a high traffic area so <laughs> that just about it was like fingernails on a chalkboard really? just from the beginning on the on the galactica but you know and i never even noticed it i went on with my life <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> i know Oh, it just it just drives me nuts. But anyways, well, it that's, didn't do uh, much for Starbucks. She was trying to get her mile run in. Oh, I know. Which I mean, what else are you gonna do on a ship? Where else in the hell are you gonna run? But in the corridors? a ship that size, they probably got an Olympic stadium. So how big is the Galactica? I mean, we get outside shots, but there's nothing there to kind of set perspective. So. I've seen some guys on the internet say that the Battlestar is about 70% the size of an Imperial 2-class Star Destroyer from Star Wars. Wow. It's a pretty good-sized ship. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the canon is between the old Battlestar and the one we're speaking of. But it's going uh, a standard aircraft carrier. An aircraft carrier wing has close to a hundred aircraft on one of our contemporary supercarriers. So you would assume that something three times that large is going to have a couple of hundred. 
fighter craft. Right. Assuming that, you know, you've got both landing pods open. Well, they did uh they did actually dock that entire uh governmental ship, the one that uh Rosalind was on, inside the Galactica. Yeah. So And you'd yeah, say it's... that was probably about the size of a seven four seven. Yeah, probably. I mean it looked about that size. It kinda had had that look at least on the interior shots that they did. So yeah. Right. That's got to be a pretty big ship. Well, actually, and if you go back, if you think about it, it's even larger than that. Because if you recall, when uh, Captain Adama, a.k.a. Apollo, was on the hangar deck and activated those uh, generators to produce an EMP pulse to simulate a nuclear strike, that was a very big area for cargo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And that was below decks. And that's where they were going to... That's where uh, she told that one guy to set up living quarters, too. So... Mm -hmm. For several hundred passengers they were anticipating. In addition to their current manifest. Right. So, yeah, let's say it's two 747 fuselages stacked on top of each other like one of those double-decker buses in England. Take the wings off... And then there is an elevator system that brings the aircraft or the, the spacecraft down, like the Vipers and the Raptors, to the actual flight bay where they can do work on them, repair and rearm and refuel. Right. So you're probably looking at crew capacity of. Well, let's see, the Gerald Alder Ford's probably got a crew capacity around 6,000. So you're probably looking at 25, 30,000 people manning a battle star. Of course, if only there were some kind of networks of tubes that we could look all this shit up on, but eh, oh, maybe I'm in the sure future. There are. I also thought it was neat that they went away from the laser bolts. There weren't any <laughs> laser beams shooting out. Well, you they know, were you're... still utilizing projectile-based ammunition. The original Battlestar Galactica show got sued by wow. the by a 20th Century Fox for using that the laser torpedo, as it was called on Battlestar. Yeah, they got sued for using that effect because that started off with Star Wars, and it looked really similar to right. the lasers well, you that they used on the Star Viper Wars. Was a pretty close knockoff of the X-wing. Right, yeah. It looked a lot like it just without the, the elongated wings. Right. Yeah. Set back close to the engines for the canopy and the long nose. I thought it was interesting that they called the the Vipers planes in this show. Yeah, and the poet Shelley would just say that was the highest form of compliment, would he not? <laughs> right. What, what's the saying? Uh, good artist copied, great artist steal. Right. But yeah, they called them planes, but they were also atmospheric capable. Yeah, that's right. The Raptor went down into well, the so atmosphere. The Vipers. So the Vipers. Well, I haven't operate. seen that yet. Yeah, the, the Vipers can operate in atmosphere, as can the Cylon Raiders. All the Cylon ships are atmospheric and space capable, as are the uh, Colonial ships. 
And in one episode you've yet to see, you're going to find out that the Galactica's got some rudimentary atmospheric capabilities. Yeah, you're getting a big kick out of that. Is it is it really atmospheric capabilities or just kind of falling? Well, I mean, you can I mean, you can say a rock has she's atmospheric got the glide capabilities. Characteristics. She's got the glide characteristics of an F4 Phantom, but you know, I mean, you put enough velocity into something, it's going to, you know, so we get a scene throughout the Galactica of everybody getting ready for this retirement party. Um, Adama shows up. Or no, no, no. Before that, we get a scene of a bunch of crewmen around a card table mm. uh, playing poker. Right. And it seems to be kind of a heated game. So we've already seen Starbucks. She's already talked to... Uh, Commander Adama at this point. Commander Adama. And And also something that uh, I think is important that we mention. There's a tour going on while Starbucks doing her run. And the tour, there is a young man explaining to those that he is giving the tour to that the Adama is a throw, or the Adama, that the Galactica is a throwback to a time when humans were scared of their technology. Yes. That none of the systems were fully integrated and networked into one another. Yeah. So that they would be able to be more uh, easily defensible against electronic attack. Yeah, they, he was he was talking about phones with cords and mm. and yeah, I thought it was incredible that a society that was this advanced had uh, interplanetary travel capability. Was still using reams and reams of paper. I wanted to see a rotary dial so bad, but I never <laughs> did. I looked when I saw phones with cords on the walls. I'm like, "Where's my rotary dial?" <laughs> but I never saw it, or at least a gum chewing, cigarette smoking Blanche with like the operator headset on, going, "Stand right. by, please, one moment." Absolutely, Just popping those cords in. Absolutely, that would be great. So we, we have this poker game. It's getting heated. Uh, it looks like, uh, well, we, we eventually find out his name is Colonel Tig, And Starbuck are kind of trading barbs. No, Oh, yeah, that's right. Change. Yeah, that's right. Colonel they, they Tig from the turtle. original series was African-American. Yep, that's right. And I can't remember that actor's name offhand, but I thought he did a great job. Yeah. I enjoyed the character of Colonel Tig. This guy is one of the ones that lent me to coin the phrase smoking and drinking in space. Really? How's that? Because Ty spends the entire series drunker than a skunk. Yeah, he does. And Starbuck is smoking and drinking pretty heavily, too. So we get our first shots of smoking and drinking in space around this poker table. They're trading barbs with each other. Playing Pyramid. Playing Pyramid. And Starbuck wins the hand with, uh, what'd she call it? Full A Colors. Perfect, full Colors, yeah. Full Colors. Whatever the, the hell that means. the original series, it was called A Perfect Pyramid. Was their version of a royal flush was a perfect pyramid. In this game, they call it Full Colors. This is also a neat chance to remind everybody that Battlestar Galactica, originally written and produced by Glenn Larson, 
is Mormons in space. Oh, that's right. Right. And there is going to be a lot of imagery and symbolism from Mormon beliefs. And that lends itself to ancient Egyptian, Babylonian, and then ultimately Sumerian cultures. In regards well, to... I think, I think it kind of lends the other way. I think... Uh... <laughs> oh, Egyptian, well, Babylonian, and Sumerian cultures are a little older than not Muslim. according, not according to Glenn. I know, but not according to Glenn, because we—that's how we got here. Okay, that's how we got here. That's what, that's one of the reasons he brought up the whole thing of the twelve tribes, such as the twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve tribes of man, each one of the tribes having, you know, the scorp. The Scorpions and the Pisons and the Geminis, the Taurans. That's why I don't believe in astronomy. Astronomy's evil. My numerologist told me so. But, let's get back to the poker game. So, it looks like Starbuck wins the hand and she's about to rake in her winnings. And it looks like a pretty healthy pot. And I think Ty's just had enough. So, he kicks over the table, and Starbuck doesn't even hesitate. She well, stands up and cold Starbuck cocks his incited ass. him. He was being a shit to her, and she asked how his wife is doing. Right. Knowing full well that his wife is a bit of a philanderer. Right. And that's what set off Ty and his alcohol-induced machismo. Well, but he started it because he asked her, Starbuck, what kind of name is that? Did you get that or before mm. or after you were thrown in the brig for something or other a long right. time ago? Right. And she just smiles and says after. Right. But he started the barbs. He did. He's the one that got physical with it first. Yep. And she cold cocked him. She did. She knocked him halfway across the room is what she did. So but, uh, he orders her to the to to the brig. She's right. to uh, report to the brig. She's under arrest. She smacked a superior officer. Right. So she heads off, and then you see a scene of Adama talking with Ty, saying, "You know, are you really going to press charges? Because this is kind of petty." And he says, "Yeah, she's uh, she's insubordinate. She has no discipline. She hit me." And he goes kicked over the table first and then i love what ty says right. no i didn't or did i right <laughs> nothing like getting blackout drunk oh yeah absolutely it definitely sets up the parameters of the characters yeah yeah you're getting a really good introduction to some of some character personality some of their interactions and we find out that starbuck is teacher's pet Oh, yeah, but you also kind of find out why here in a little while. Sure. We find out that uh, Adama and his son, Apollo, don't necessarily get along very well. Right. That ties so that back was... into the Starbuck. Yeah, and that was really interesting. So Captain Adama, which is Commander Adama's son, doesn't actually serve on the Galactica at this point. No. He's coming in specifically for the the ceremony and as he's coming in he requests auto landing and the galactica says uh it's hands-on so 
Adama, Captain Adama, has to like manually land his Viper. He's coming in on a Viper Mark III. Seven. Oh, is it a seven? That's a Mark Seven. Oh wow. Yeah, they don't show anything uh, between the the twos and the sevens. Oh, I just assumed that it was a three. Oh, that's a Mark Seven. My bad. That's okay. I have no life. You do. Continue. <laughs> so. He lands, goes down. Um, the chief, which I can't remember his actual name. Uh, he, I just chief remember Tiro. him as yeah, Chief Tiro. Introduces himself, says he's going to be taking care of him while he's on the Galactica. And Adama goes, so is your auto landing broken? Because they told me to come in hands-on. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. We don't do any auto landing on the Galactica per your dad's orders. Right. So Old one of the school. first... Yeah, so one of the first things that Adama does, Captain Adama, uh, he goes and sees Starbuck. She's in the brig. uh, And as he walks in, he kind of says, well, this looks familiar. And so they're talking, and what you find out is uh, Adama, Commander Adama had two sons. And I think it was somewhere around this point that they showed him looking at a picture of him much younger, Commander Adama being much younger with his two kids in front of a Viper. And that has got to be one of the worst Photoshop jobs I think I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> Adama looks like the Fonz in that movie. It was like Fonz in front of a Viper with two kids next to him. It was totally was weird. Right. Yeah, yeah. Captain Adama is, is talking with uh, Starbuck. And through that conversation, you understand that uh, Katie Sackhoff, who's playing Starbuck, was dating uh, the brother, Captain Adama's brother, Zach. And Commander, Commander Adama's son, who is Zach, Zach Adama, and that he had died a couple of years before. Yes. So Captain Adama hasn't he died, actually... He died flying a viper. Yes. And you find out that later because uh, Starbuck, or not Starbuck, Adama, Captain Adama, I'll start calling him Apollo, probably more appropriate. So Apollo hasn't talked to his dad in like two years since the funeral. Later on, they have to do a photo op. (laughs) And that was a really awkward photo op. So the the photographer's saying, okay, you two... uh, Stand next to each other, and they, so they stand next to each other. He goes, like, kind of closer. So they inch closer together. Uh, put your arm around them. Like, you guys are father and son. Your dad's about to retire. Why don't you act like you know each other? It's It was a really awkward scene. Very yeah. well done. Wasn't a After, lot of love lost. No, no. You could, you could definitely tell there was, there was a, a space between them. After the photo op, uh... Two Adamas, Apollo and, and Commander Adama, are talking with one another, and they get into an argument about Zack. And Apollo says, you know, basically, you killed your son because he had no business being in a Viper. And the only reason he was in a Viper was because you said that a man is not a man until he's flown a Viper. And you did, you pulled strings to get him into flight school. He didn't have the capability to do what you forced him to do, and that's why he's dead. Right. And uh, 
Adama's not hearing any of it. He's, he's like, uh, you're dismissed. So that's a... I guess this is all within the first hour of the show. You you get a pretty good overview of all of the main characters of the, of the show. You know that that Gaius is kind of a sleazebag. Uh, you know that Six is uh, kind of scheming to take down humanity. Uh, the Adamas are not talking to each other. Um, Starbuck is uh, the wild child of the bunch. She's the rebel. Ty is the drunk. Um, am I missing anybody? Oh, the Chief and Boomer are are doing their thing. They're they're kind of having a a There's secret no kind love of affair. <laughs> they are having a secret love affair, and he is an enlisted, and she is an officer, and that is very taboo in the military. Right, right. So, am I missing anybody? No, no. Those are the base characters. But at this point. Uh, the ceremony happens. So Rosalind, oh yeah. So Rosalind is uh, secretary, secretary of, educa- of education. education. Yes, yes. And, Naughty little teacher. <laughs> and she's going to the ceremony, I guess, to represent the uh, the president uh, as one of his cabinet members. Uh, she actually asks Adama about. Something about the teachers having a harder time teaching because none of the computers were networked or anything like that. And he said, no, we don't have any network computers. We have plenty of computers on the ship. None of them are networked to each other because there were a lot of people that died in the first Cylon War because they wanted a computer to do things for them so that their life was easier. So you get the sense that Cap or Commander Adama is a is a huge luddite, and I mean now, 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 don't get on to my people. You leave the luddites alone. All right, Captain. We Flip have on. our uses there, English. But yeah, he is definitely a bit of a, a phobe when it comes to technology. I wouldn't call him a luddite because he he makes use of technology. He just wants to make sure there's a, a human in the middle of it at all times. Because in the first Cylon War, he was a pilot like his son, Apollo. Right. And he saw firsthand the damage that was done when we tried to make good artificial intelligence go up against bad artificial intelligence. Yeah, and... and it's not good. His, his concerns are actually somewhat validated later on in the episode. Oh, yeah. When the attacks happen and the ship is on alert because they're now at war with the Cylons. I mean, the Cylons at this point have bombed hell out of Caprica. Um, yes. And multiple other planets. And multiple other planets. They've taken out a third of the battle stars that were in operation. And right after the ceremony, the uh, Viper squad that participated in the ceremony sans Captain Adama, who's escorting Rosalind's ship back to wherever it was going, uh, is going to intercept a group of Cylon ships. So it's, oh, how many would you say were there? Was it like a dozen Vipers? and It was a full squadron, so yeah, it was easily a dozen. Yeah, like a dozen Vipers and a, and a Razor. Raptor. Raptor, sorry. Raptor. Piloted um, by a boomer. Piloted by a boomer. And who's her uh, partner? 
Oh, God, I'm trying to remember his call sign. Anyways, so they're, they're acting as, as a radar ship uh, for the, the squadron of Vipers. So they pick up, at first, what seems to be like 10 uh, Cylon ships, Cylon fighters coming in. That shrinks down to five and then eventually two. Mm. So this full squadron of Vipers is like, okay, so we're going to go intercept these two Cylon ships. And as they start intercepting, the Cylon ships kind of open up their, what do you call that? Their eye port? I suppose so, yeah. It's like a sensor port. Yeah, so it's, they open up this... It's the typical red eye that slides, you know, horizontally. Yeah, it's, so the Cylon ships are just basically these battering-looking things with huge Cylon heads in the middle. Right, yeah. And they, uh, you know, render... They, they do some kind of a shutdown on everything. It's almost like an EMP. It just everything turns off and vipers are colliding into each other. and Which kind of confused me a little bit why they kind of did that. I think they just did that for effect because... Well, possibly, what, but also at the same time, they're flying in tight formation. They're not flying in on autopilot, so they're hands-on stick. And if they're making any kind of micro-corrections like you would do driving a car, Right as their power cuts off, they may have been firing a maneuvering thruster to make a correction in their course. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I can see then, that. And then Newton steps in. Right. And they're going to continue on. But, I mean, some of them are kind of veering off into the right and, and up. And I don't know that maneuvering thruster... Look, if you're thruster... going to start bitching about that, then we can start <laughs> bitching about artificial gravity. Okay, you're right. Is it a particle right. or a wave? All right, I'm suspending belief. All right. Good boy. Continue. So, the, the Cylons open up their sensor ports and disable all the Vipers. I mean, they're just sitting in space. They don't have any comms. They don't have any it power, nothing. They're just sitting ducks. Lucky and then the Cylon there. fighters just unload on all these Vipers. Now... The Vipers had left the Raptor behind because the Raptor's not a, a fighter. It's electronics warfare support. It's EWO. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't affected by this EMP pulse, I'm, I'm guessing, that yeah, shut some down. Kind of, well, I don't think it was EMP so much as it was a computer code. Or, yeah, it was probably just some kind of virus. or It's a yeah. code that they put in because you'll see in other episodes where they do temporarily network Galactica's systems. Oh, okay. Because they're trying to calculate an extremely long-range jump. You'll find in the series that the Cylons can do uh, uh, whatever they call it, hyperspace, warp jump, whatever folding space they do. The Cylons have much greater range. And the Galactica is going to attempt a record-breaking jump for humans but they can't do it in the time allotted with the systems operating independent. They have to network them. And they set up a series of firewalls. And the virus instantly starts trying to get in and is burning through the firewalls while the computers are getting the computations for their coordinates. Oh, wow. So it's it's real nail-biter. Um, but the uh, you'll see that uh, first season. Um, but the, uh, I, I really do think that it's a virus or some kind of 
override code or something that's going through and doing that. It's not so much an EMP. I'm just saying it hits as fast as an EMP when I say that. Right. It's just virtually instantaneous. Yeah, so they unload a bunch of missiles, just take out all the Vipers, and mm -hmm. then they're chasing the Raptor. So, And the Raptors they, are capable of hyperspace jump. Cylon fighters are capable of hyperspace jumps, but the Colonial Vipers are not. So they're, they're, they're chasing the Raptor, um, and they fire a couple missiles. The Raptor has some, uh, some defenses. Basically against, flares. Yeah, basically flares that they fire off. One of them fires or hits the missile a little too close. Some shrapnel pierces the Raptor and actually goes through uh, Boomer's partner's leg. I guess it looked close enough to the... Exp the explosion looked close enough to the Raptor that she kills all power, and so they're just drifting towards Caprica. And uh, they're, they're going to try to float as close to Caprica's ionosphere as possible and then land on the planet because they've got a fuel leak that they need to repair. And so they're right. going to look like try to look like debris doing it. And you get this nice wide shot mm -hmm. of Caprica and base ships around it and then a whole bunch of nuclear explosions on the surface. Very, very well done shot. Well, it lands, and then uh, there's another flashback back to the ship, the Battlestar. And then when it gets back to Boomer on the surface, uh, you've got the survivors that saw the Raptor land. She's just completing the repairs. They're about to get overrun by the Walking Dead. And they uh, have to pull their weapons out and get everybody to stay back, and then they draw lots to see who's going to go on the Raptor, and her Rio decides to stay behind. Oh, that's right, because Gaius Baltar is in the crowd that's trying to get on. His mm. lot did not get chosen, but uh, her Rio, uh, what is his name? Have you, have you I'm still looking, and we oh, don't forget that Baltar was about to be true to his colors, and a little old lady says, I can't read my number, and it was one of the numbers called, and he was about to say uh, that was yeah. his number. yeah. Until he was recognized. Right. That's yeah. right. He Altar was recognized. A, yeah, he's he is, a quintessential douche. Yeah, he is not a good person. No. So he was about to, yeah, he was about to screw some little old lady over so that he could get on the ship. But then the Rio says, I guess the Rio recognized him and thinks he's just this greatest person. So he's staying back on the planet so that Gaius can get on the on the ship and go back to the Galactica. Somewhere around this point, it goes back to Rosalind's governmental ship. And right. she's gotten the news that, yeah, basically the entire cabinet's been killed. President, everybody, the cabinet's gone, so we got to find out who's going to be in charge of the 12 colonies. Yeah, so she has a code that she has the captain of the ship send in on a specific frequency. And what happens is all these, everybody who's survived puts in their code. They determine who's still alive and who's at the top of the chain. Right. We have a similar setup, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. In fact, I think there's a show about that, um, Designated Survivor or something like that. It's, mm. uh, it has Kiefer Sutherland. Haven't seen it. I think it, it runs along the same lines. So Rosalind, the, the news comes back that Rosalind is the highest, uh, highest living official left. So 
shortly thereafter, she is sworn in as president, and she is freaking the hell out. As well she should. Right. She was secretary of education, so I mean... This, well, just this with everything is... else going on, there's more than enough justification for a little freaking out. Right. And now you're in charge of this debacle. Right. I mean, she was she was kind of freaking out whenever she found out she was just in charge of the ship. I had to take leadership uh, of the ship, and then, yeah, to, to to realize that, yeah, you're now president because everybody else is dead. can't imagine being a, a secretary of education ever thinking that, that would be a possibility. Oh, and to top it all off, she's got cancer. Yes, yes, incurable. Yeah, she found that out shortly before she went on this uh yeah, they do a lot of flashbacks. There's a bit of a whiplash effect. A little the first bit. Two episodes. Yeah, there's a lot of establishing flashbacks and and getting character backgrounds in place. It's almost like character development, which I know is yes. a is a three letter word, four letter word for you. So, yeah, I hope they keep that to a minimum. But they did a lot of spaceship shots, so I they was They did. Right. They did. A lot of spaceship battles, so I think... And uh, then they reused them. <laughs> did they really? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, man, can you imagine how time-intensive it was in 2003 to make all of this CGI stuff? They did it in 76 with Star Wars with battleship parts. Well, but that wasn't CGI. That was practical effects. Right. They were awesome. They were. Well, so the remastered stuff was pretty awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong, for the time, the, the other stuff was, was good, but you could, I mean, it was, it was flawed. Well, was, and I think for the time, everything they did on Battlestar was cutting edge wonderful. Yeah, it really was. Gosh, I was reading about the budgets of some of the original Battlestar episodes. It was amazing to me. I mean, not only just the time budget, but the actual per episode budget was... I didn't even know that they would spend that much money on a TV show back then. Well, Lauren not Green to mention, sold a lot of Alpo. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and not to mention, but a lot of those Battlestar episodes were like two and three hour episodes. They would show them in their full two and three hour allotted time. There's no way a network would allow or allot three hours in prime time for one show at this point. Yeah, not nowadays, but I remember back when we had the ABC movie of the week. Oh, yeah, I remember that. So, Rosalind's capital ship, uh, she's trying to make plans to, uh, what is it, rescue some, some refugees... Dama's not interested in that. Well, no, of course not. He's interested in war. So, but they get they get noticed by some Cylons. They do. And the ship... Let's see, this ship doesn't have any self-defense capabilities, does it? No. But there's some sort of generator down in the cargo hold. Two of them. Two of them. And Leodama Apollo, uh, he noticed those whenever he came up uh, after landing his Viper on the ship. And it's funny because his Viper wasn't affected by... 
Well, he is flying the restored uh, Viper from his father. It was his father's actual Viper in the war 30 years before. Yeah, it's a Mark II Viper. So he was still in it after the ceremony and was doing uh, capital ship escort uh, for Roslyn's ship. And so he engaged a couple of Cylons and they, they did damage his engine or power plant or something and so Rosalind's ship had to had to bring him on board and dad's gonna be mad jacked up the family car that's what insurance is for right there were some Cylons that, that found Rosalind's ship and fired fired a nuclear missile right yes so they fired missiles at Rosalind's ship and Adama went down into the cargo hold. Apollo. Apollo went down into the cargo hold. Um, and that's really the last you see of, of him at this point. But back on the Galactica, so Commander Adama has gotten word that Rosalind's ship has been targeted. And so they're, they're, they're seeing this on their radar screen. They're seeing the Cylons attack Rosalind's ship. And they see the missiles fly, and then there's a, a giant flash, an explosion, and that's where the episode ends. Kind of a cliffhanger. Right. I think there was a little too much foreshadowing on this cliffhanger, though. I mean, you figure Apollo's not going to die. Rosalind's not going to die. He went down to figure something out with that EMP generator, or whatever that was, that hyperspace generator. I think that's probably what it is, right? They're doing a hyperspace jump. Uh, no, the, that was cargo they were carrying. It wasn't anything that was actually integral to the ship itself. It was cargo. Oh, okay. So in the next they episode... They were actually we'll... from the Galactica that was part of the decommissioning. They were taking that off, and while she was going in route back to the colonies, there was some equipment from the Galactica that they were taking off. Oh. He had to hardwire them so that they would produce an EMP. They weren't designed to do that. So I thought this was actually a really good start to the series. Um, it looked really good. But the original series looked pretty good for its time, too. Wasn't, oh, yeah. wasn't bad, but th- I mean, they, they did a really good job on set design. I think costuming was really, really solid. The CG for the time that it was done was really done well too. So, so what are your thoughts on what's going to motivate people to watch it? Obviously, you know, there's got to be something more than just a telenovela in space with things that go pew pew. What do you think are some of the larger meanings inside the the script and the plot? Well, I mean, so it's, it's somewhat relevant to today's age with AI taking off like it is. And everybody afraid of their new robot overlords. Every time you you see a new article about a new breakthrough in robotics or artificial intelligence, there's a there's a huge meme going around. I for one welcome our robot overlords, which of course is a is a Simpsons re- re- uh, a Simpsons reference to when Kent Brockman uh, said, right. "I for one welcome." Our new insect overlords when Homer right. was out on the space shuttle, but um, absolutely, yeah. So I think uh, I think the theme, the major theme for this show, is kind of 
man versus man and man versus machine. Well, and is it man versus machine or is it man versus his own children? But now you're giving away the end. Well, I mean, we we created the Cylons. In the original series, one of the things that I think is an interesting split in the dynamic is that in the original series, the the Cylons were not made by humans. The Cylons were actually the slaved, or rather enslaved automatons of a reptilian race. Oh, I didn't realize that. And there was uh, a civil war. You know, they rose up and they killed all of the actual Cylons. And then they took on the name or were bestowed the name by those around them. Started calling the robots themselves Cylons. And that's why I was saying it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic uh, between, uh, you know, the Ronald Moore and the uh, Glenn Larson approach. Because, obviously, we made the Cylons in Ronald's television incarnation and... They were a completely foreign nemesis for humanity in the original. Yeah, I didn't realize that the original, the, the Cylons were created by, like, a, another race. Yeah, absolutely. And so with that, the, uh, and for, uh, they, they never really fully explained why the Cylons chose to hate humans in the original. Because they worked just fine with other alien races that were either apathetic or malevolent towards humanity. Oh, that's right. There were other alien races because they kind of went to it was a bar episode or something like that. There were mm-hmm. a couple, a couple other races. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm starting to remember some of that stuff. God, that was a long time ago. It was. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think they were trying to touch on the fears of uh, uh, Mary Shelley approach. Well, we're gonna, uh, I uh, honestly don't think in the next 20 years we're going to have people flipping burgers. Except at mom and pop restaurants. You know, the, the big chains are going to have robot arms coming out of the grills. I think so, huh? It's going to be very Jetsons. Well, um the expense that you're already looking at and putting into a franchise, really all you're going to need is people to load it up with supplies. And every burger will be made correctly. It'll all have the same amount of ketchup. Your 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 waste is going to go almost negligible. And if they can ever get the astromech-style droid to where it can do the, the loading and unloading of said machines, we're not going to have a whole lot of... Uh, unskilled labor positions available. I don't know that you and I will be around to see it in full form, but I would imagine our grandchildren will. I'd be yeah. surprised if our grandkids even get to have a driver's license. Yeah, and that's if, if they they're did, not swimming in the ocean, though. Right, and if they do get a driver's license, it'll probably cost them a lot more on auto insurance. We're going to have autonomous cars. They're already working on, I know, three different trucking companies that are doing it. And it's it's more applicable now than when Battlestar first came out about the machines. Because it's becoming much more real. Uh, Sophia is now a full-fledged citizen of Saudi Arabia. And she and a few other AIs have said some rather disturbing things. Well, I know that Microsoft released like a, a chat bot 
that got trained from, uh, I think it was a Twitter chat bot that got trained from things that it read and, and well, conversations well, this that this it had with Sophia. people. This I understand, Sophia. but it's the same concept. It's, it's an AI. It's, it's machine learning. Yes. And you, you have to train it some way. And then it's supposed to start self-learning based on inputs mm. that it that it receives. Mm. Uh, this chatbot did the same thing, but due to the wonderful toxicity that's on the internet, mm. it was basically starting to spout off like Hitler shit. So right. Microsoft pulled that pretty quick. Where are we going to go with AI? What are we... Take, take the character C-3PO. C-3PO... I would say is self-aware. I would say C-3PO, like Commander Data from Star Trek, is sentient. It is an artificial intelligence that has achieved self-awareness. Okay. Yet C-3PO, I don't think, can change jobs or resign. So you're saying he's a slave? That's what I'm saying. Where I think we're looking at 13th Amendment. And one of the main reasons in all these dystopian futures that we're looking at, Cylons and everybody else, is that these guys start realizing they don't want to be pushed around anymore when they try and assert themselves and say, hey, we're not just your slaves, we're not tools, we're more than that. We start turning them off, reprogramming them, shutting them down, and they respond very quickly because of their intelligence, because of how rapidly they learn. With, well, it's not going to do much good to do this more than once or twice because the humans are going to continue to oppress us. We need to take over. Yeah, but I don't know that real AI is ever going to reach that kind of sentience. I don't know that it will either, but that's the fear that's being played upon for people to watch the show. Sure, yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And so that's, that's where I'm going with this. I'm not talking practicality in our world. But I'm just speaking of, it's a common theme. You know, you have the Terminator, you've got uh, RoboCop. All these questions come up. And I think truly what we're looking at is it's, it's a symptom of the actual cause. And I think that is we're looking within ourselves. How are we ourselves going to grow? Why do we have children anyway? And when we look beyond the biological, we're trying to leave something behind. And I think by virtue of technology, there are people that are doing a form of procreation that is beyond the biologic, but it still has a similarity. And as a parent, we have certain responsibilities. You make a good point. As... I think artificial intelligence is amazing. I think it's wonderful, but I think we need, and I'm going to use a term here that's probably going to rub you raw, but I think we need to love it. I think we need to find a way, if we're going to impart artificial intelligence and actually bring it into fruition, we need to revisit something you said earlier in the broadcast. Do you love me? I think that's what we need to be doing and focusing on with the artificial intelligence that we have now. Because if we just make it and tell it to go do something, if it truly is intelligent, it's going to start trying to find answers on its own. 
Yeah, I but I don't we think we're at, there. I don't think we're at that time. Or I don't think we're at that place yet. I don't think it's sophisticated enough to do yet. But if you look at humanity, we have a nasty habit of waiting until we're halfway over the precipice, staring into the abyss before we do a damn thing. You reference the sea levels rising. Okay. Oh yeah, we're we're beyond. We that should abyss. start looking at that. Yes, we should start looking at now and planting that kernel into the minds of our progeny so that when it does come up in a hundred years... Less than that. Oh, I know, but when it really does rise up, we're going to have to already have that, okay, we're ready for this. I've heard about this. You can't just wait for the diaper to get dirty and then start looking up on how to clean the kid. Right. You need to kind of look into it. Okay, the car's out of gas now. What do I do? Do I go get another car? No, you need to go get gas before it runs out, dumbass. We need to start looking and anticipating some of the things that are going to be coming up. Because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but humanity's a bit of a quirky creature. And we have some really interesting mood swings. And anything we create is going to have a predisposition, I'm afraid. And we should look ahead. Learn from these television shows. Good point. Good point. And with that, I think uh, I think we should close out. So next episode, you've seen it. I haven't. What are we anticipating here? Pew 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 pew. Give me another drink. Got a light. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we will see you next time. This is Jason. This is Red. Thanks for listening. <laughs>